the accidental engineer welcome all max of the accidental engineer here today we have the pleasure of ryan harper joining us welcome ryan thank you Good to be here. it's awesome to have you uh, for our audience that don't know ryan ryan is svp product at city ventures part of the big Citibank uh conglomerate before that what kinds of stuff did, were you up to how did you get into product management Sure. Uh, so I've been doing product management for a little over six years. And prior to joining City Ventures, I was working primarily in the media space in New York. So I had product roles at WebMD and iHeartRadio and Condé Nast Entertainment. And uh, I really started my journey into product at the uh, Museum LACMA in Los Angeles. Um, and that's how I really felt in love with uh, building products and uh, getting great apps and tools in front of users. Yeah, I did want to point out that while Ryan is not an engineer, uh, Ryan did come to software and tech products from an accidental background. Uh, Ryan and I went to high school together where we were in a rock band together. And uh, Ryan went on to do more music, uh, did a grad program in music before getting into media type software products. Yeah. Do you mind describing for our audience kind of what the, what the story is there? Like how did you make that career transition as successfully as you have? Sure, so that was uh, a wild and uh, interesting time. So I was in grad school for music composition at USC and I got involved in a student project that was looking at how we might create a new kind of e-reader that would allow people to take uh, common domain literature, so, so books like Huck Finn, and insert their own media into the product. And I was initially brought on as a musician to uh, create some of the scores around these new books. And I just fell in love with the idea. And uh, the team working on the product actually ended up getting into a startup incubator. Uh, in New York called Dreamit um, and Startup. Startle was uh, another one of the early investors. And um, in that summer, as we were preparing for demo day, I really took on all of the roles that I could uh, figure out how to help out with. Uh, and that involved everything from uh, coding um, the eBooks themselves to uh, working with the designer to make sure that uh, our engineer had everything he needed and, and uh, creating pitch decks with our uh, CEO at the time. Um, and little did I know that this was actually a field and it was called product management. Um, <laughs> and I just like never looked back from, from that experience and um, ended up actually um, taking that uh, app that we built, which we then pivoted to uh, displaying rich media eBooks um, focus on music actually, so albums, so rich media albums, um, and seeing that into launch in the app store and uh, ended up working as a designer slash developer slash product person at uh, the Annenberg Innovation Lab at USC uh, for a year. And uh, through that made a, a contact with uh, LACMA and uh, joined on there to, to build an app for their Stanley Cooper takes of it. So you've gotten a ton of perspective on what the software engineering side of product development looks like. I mean, all of the last handful of roles you've had over the last decade almost have been working with software engineers to deliver product features, 
you, uh, we mentioned WebMD, iHeartMedia, Condé Nast, and now City or City Ventures. Um, what I want to I want to talk with you about and hear about what are some of the trials and tribulations of the role of being a product manager and working with software engineers. Sure. <laughs> maybe maybe not always the negative, but uh, <laughs> the responsibilities that a product manager has that maybe a software engineer doesn't know about or mm. doesn't have as much involvement in. For example, uh, I know you've told me previously about uh, enumerating use cases for products. So do you mind sharing for our audience a little bit about what it is you do? Yeah, so as a product manager, I really uh, try to think about three things uh, and, and how to balance those three things. Those three things are uh, the business and uh, what we need to do to drive the business forward, um, the UX, so um, how can we gr create a, a great product that people will want to use and uh, will come back to again and again, and uh, engineering, how do we create something that works and that's stable and uh, that's really pushing the boundaries of, of whatever technology we're using. And so as a product manager, what I think about is, and when I'm talking to engineers, is, is how, I, how can I communicate uh, both the user needs and the business needs so that uh, there's a sense of the, the problem we're trying to, um, to tackle and how we can uh, create a product that, that meets user needs and uh, also uh, drives toward business goals. And so user stories, I, I think, are a great way to, to have that conversation um, because when you're writing a user story, you're being very particular about who your audience is, who's going to actually use this, this feature, um, as well as why they actually would want to use the feature. Um, and then uh, in the acceptance criteria, I try to think about um, what the, the feature should do, but at the same time, leave it agnostic enough about the um, how that, that feature might be built, uh, that engineering can have an input uh, and really create the, the feature in the best way possible. Yeah, I, I, in my experience of being indirectly involved in product management as a software engineer, product managers have a great deal of power uh, over a lot of topics like how often maybe even the team releases new versions of the software. Oh, yeah. uh, what, what are some of the lesser known uh, criteria that product managers have perspective into about you know, ensuring that releases are high, of high quality, that uh, maybe the code that software engineers are contributing meet the acceptance criteria that you've set out or maybe uh, haven't accounted for even yet. Uh, what, what, behind the curtain, what is, what is some of the perspective that product managers have into this uh, product release cycle? Sure, um, that's a great question. So uh, at the end of the day, the, the product manager is the person who's responsible for ensuring that the voice of the user is heard. Uh, within both the product development group, but then also, also the business as a whole. And so uh, when I think about things like release cycles, what, I, I, what I'm reminded of is going through App Store reviews or Google Play reviews and just seeing all of the feedback um, and really uh, getting a sense of urgency sometimes around um, whether it's, it's a bug fix or a new feature um, that needs to be pushed out. Um, and then again, there's always a, a business need um, that uh, will drive the, the cadence that you're looking at as well. Um, so 
what's kind of the range that you've the had range. experience with? Yeah. Um, so at Condé Nast Entertainment, we were continuous uh, deployment job. So whenever we had a new feature, we, we could push it out after we had tested it and make sure uh, they saw that it was working. So there was no cadence. It was just on demand. Is yeah. That... And the reason we could do that was because uh, our, we had a couple primary products. One of them was a standalone proprietary video player. Um, that was used by all the, the different Condé Nast brands. Uh, and then we had an admin CMS uh, where people were uploading uh, videos and, and creating playlists. And then uh, there's also a standalone app called The Scene. Mm. And uh, generally, um, we were able to push silent updates uh, to the player and to... Uh, to, to the CMS. So, um, you know, there, there, depending on the release, there were uh, different kinds of um, outreach efforts that we might uh, put forward. So, uh, for instance, when we switched ad managers, we absolutely, like, that was a very, very uh, lengthy planned process. But for something like um, uh, adding a new um, uh, style to the player, uh, for perhaps like the playlist player, uh, mm -hmm. that we could do pretty seamlessly, mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that was mostly because we were serving as a platform for the for the company. So from iHeartMedia through to today, or I guess WebMD was before iHeartMedia. Mm -hmm. yeah. What? How much variance was there? One of the things I, our audience might not be aware of is in working on a iOS or Android product, iOS in particular. You're at the whim, like you say, of sure. Apple's own release management workflow where Apple demands to be able to review every submitted new version of your software. Yep. And so you're gated to something like once a week releases, once a month releases. What, what, kind, of, what kind of gating is imposed on you when yeah. you're a product so manager? That process, I think, has come a long way over the years. <laughs> um, when I was first starting, there was you know, sometimes a couple of days um, but uh, my understanding is that it, it's general. That window has generally um, uh, become smaller, um, mm. and it's easier to push updates uh, more quickly. Mm. Um, but definitely, when we were shipping new versions of the WebMD iPhone app or the um, iHeartRadio Android app, we would have to um, submit the the builds to Apple or Google and. Uh, wait to hear their feedback. If we got the okay, then we would start to roll it out to our users. Uh, and generally, um, we would need to communicate to, to management, essentially, uh, that there was this potential unknown uh, as far as the exact time when, when the release would go out because uh, of this uh, review Third process. party. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, it, it makes, uh, makes those platforms more stable to have a review system. So we can definitely see why they're there. So you mentioned voice of the customer, and I think a lot of software engineers are distanced from the voice of the customer in various ways, uh, besides you know, the product manager telling engineers what, uh, what the voice of the customer demands right now, yeah. <laughs> or, or is experiencing if there are bugs in the existing product. Um, what are some of the, you mentioned for mobile apps, the App Store review being one source for a product manager to hear the voice of the customer. Mm -hmm. Are there other avenues that are available and what are the popular and most most uh, valuable tools to a product manager for 
engaging voice of the customer. Yeah, so uh, email also is a, is a great tool for, <laughs> for non-native apps. Mm. Um, so at Connie Nast, we were using a tool called Zendesk, uh, mm -hmm. which essentially let us gather all of the feedback and uh, go through uh, individual customer um, responses so, so we could use that information to guide our future releases. Mm -hmm. uh, what was interesting about Connie Nast also was that we had 20 different brands and, and uh, all of those brands had very unique and, and very uh, vocal readerships and, and audiences. <laughs> and so um, one of the interesting, and there were a lot of interesting things about that position um, at Connie Nast, but one of them was just looking at all of these different audiences and, and trying to figure out how we could build the best player for each of these use cases while maintaining a, a scalable and maintainable player. Mm -hmm. Outside of explicit feedback, what are some of the less explicit uh, ways that users vocalize? Maybe by you know stop ceasing use of a, a product, what are, what are some alternatives to uh, Zendesk's type uh, uh, support ticket uh, voice of the customer? Yeah, well, you always want to be looking at data uh, <laughs> all the time, every day. Um, so that's, that's like the, the first place to go. Got it. Um, and depending on your product, that data might look different. Um, sure. So at uh, Condé, it was, we were very focused on the number of views we had per viewer um, because we wanted to make sure that people were having a good experience with the product and would continue to, to watch videos. Uh, so we were very focused on um, our daily uh, views per viewer metric as well as just overall video views and um, retention was also something that we looked at um, very strongly. Um, in addition to all those user metrics, then you also, of course, in, in media at least have um, ad metrics that you're looking at and, and making sure that uh, campaigns are being met and uh, that in general the, the monetization aspect is performing as expected. Have you noticed that a different stage company or size company scale that your role as a product manager requires you to spend more time in seeking out data? Or um, like I'm wondering if at smaller companies where there may not be as much of a team that exists to help you with you know writing SQL queries or instrumenting your app to log certain events that you want to track. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how does a product manager's role change at the variety of uh, type of employers you've worked at? Yeah, so I think I've had somewhat of an interesting career so far in that all of my roles have been in small emerging teams within large corporations. So at WebMD, I was in the mobile group uh, that had the ability to go to the rest of the business to get resources for things like big data crunching and ETL processes, um, but also was sort of its, its self-contained unit and uh, didn't at the time at least have a, uh, a data analyst attached to that unit specifically. Um, so in, in that kind of situation, um, I found myself doing a lot of the, it, we, uh, going into really the guts of the metric system and making sure that uh, we had all the data we needed. Um, I actually took a, a GA course uh, around that time so I could um, get more uh, proficient in things like doing predictive analysis and that sort of thing um, because uh, data science as a field uh, was still making its way um, into, into those groups. 
Um, as I've sort of progressed and, and had the ability to work with data scientists, um, I've found myself doing less of the uh, hands-on uh, predictive work, but um, have always really enjoyed working with the um, data scientists to figure out like one, what should we be tracking? And then two, uh, what insights can we glean to, to uh, figure out what we should be building next? Speaking of data scientists and data analysts and depending on other parts of the business, <laughs> uh, something that I think product managers may be at the crossroads single most among all employees at companies. Uh, what Do you have any war stories or uh, words of advice to new product managers about maybe communication styles that uh, you, you have found to work for yourself or that you've, you strive for or seem to be more successful than others, perhaps? Yeah, sure. So with data in particular, it's, it's really important to tell a story with it. Um, so the last thing you want to do is to basically... Uh, like write a SQL query and then put the SQL query and then the result on a, on a um, presentation just because uh, it can be hard for people to, to grasp what's going on. Um, and if, if they don't see the, uh, the end result immediately, they might question why you're talking about this in the first place. Totally. So, um, really uh, focusing on uh, storytelling um, with data is something that I've... Uh, become, I think, uh, just like I've really grown to uh, appreciate the uh, importance of doing that, I think. Um, and I've been lucky in that the data scientists I've worked with have, have been really helpful in um, helping set the team up for success in, in that fashion. I, without obviously naming names, can you, can you uh, give us an idea of how someone might fail to effectively storytell? You mentioned yeah. just throwing a SQL query result on a PowerPoint slide, but can you illustrate maybe for an audience that might be fearing that they themselves <laughs> are making these storytelling mistakes? What, a, what, are, what are some of the common mistakes you see? Yeah, well, I'd say like graphs are another great example where you, you put up a graph and um, it seems... Uh, at first glance, that's telling one story, but it actually is telling something completely different. Um, and so I think being very uh, specific in uh, how you're dealing with things like axes, but then also uh, your time periods and, and whether or not this is actually out of the norm or uh, whether it's more of an anomaly, mm -hmm. um, all, of those, uh, all of those pieces of information help drive that uh, story. If our audience wants to get better at storytelling, <laughs> uh, what, what resources do you recommend? I mean, besides working. <laughs> yeah, besides working. Um, so I think reading actually is, is really important. Um, and partly that's just because it helps develop empathy. Um, so getting into the mind of different kinds of people and, and thinking about um, how... Uh, different people react to different situations and, and um, thinking about how um, you can use storytelling to uh, present different kinds of personas or different kinds of, of use cases. Um, and there are, there are plenty of great resources out there as well. Um, I know that uh, GA, for instance, has, has a really good um, product and UX practice around uh, getting some of those, those storytelling methods. Um, GA being General Assembly. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, full disclosure, I worked there. 
Um, sure, sure. But uh, yeah, no, they have a great program. Uh, For sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, there's been a marked rise in how much for to illustrate where this is readily available if people want examples in the news when it comes to quantitative news articles. Yeah. Uh, there's a startup in San Francisco called Priceonomics. Okay. Priceonomics, which their whole uh, content format, they are a content production business, is uh, finding a unique or somewhat novel data set and crafting a story around it. Maybe it's around you know naming uh, trends of babies, or maybe mm-hmm. it's uh, a business so it's topic. it's kind of like the freakonomics of uh, exactly. story production. Exactly. Cool. And the value of these types of news articles, as I understand them, and why they end up getting as much reach and coverage as they do, is that they're tremendously citable. And mm-hmm. I think on the topic of storytelling in a business, there's totally this function of, okay, you may only present this slide to... Uh, one room of people, but it, a single story can change a trajectory of a project. And yeah. uh, you might do a hundred story points last month, but those <laughs> hundred story points might be all for naught if right if it wasn't the right story. Yeah, that you were building toward. Totally, sure. totally. Yeah, yeah. On that topic, I oh. think a lot of software engineers operate in this world of story points uh-huh. and maybe annual or, or a cadence of performance reviews that determine their kind of career trajectory. So yeah. one topic I'd love to cover with you as a product manager, as a guest on the show, where normally we have software engineers, is how do product managers think about story points? Uh, do you use it as a measure of progress? Do you judge your, your peer software engineers by their ability to deliver story points? What's, what's to you the meaning of a story point? <laughs> yeah. Great question. So uh, story points to me are a way of measuring the, the throughput of a group um, and uh, the velocity of a group. And that's really important to have uh, because it lets you go back and report to the business on, on how long in general you think something is going to take. Um, so I use story points as a way to, um, again, measure velocity and, and then measure uh, capacity and uh, how much a team is able to take on at any given time. Mm. Um, there is a, a certain sense of story points also needing to tie back to value to the customer or the user. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tend to only point uh, features and not, not point bugs. Um, and that's always a subject uh, that's uh, up for debate uh, with the engineering team I'm, I'm working with. But um, really for me, it, it's a reporting and planning uh, tool more than it is saying that, you know, this team is working or it's not working. Um, the last thing I want is if, to feel like when we're pointing, we're just like punching clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, when I'm talking about story pointing, um, in the when I teach, I, I usually um, use the analogy of uh, like Mario, for example, collecting coins. Um, so you can think of Mario just like going through one of those uh, levels where uh, it's just like an endless runner, and it's just getting like all of these <laughs> points in a row, and like nothing's really changing. You're just like grabbing point after point, um, or you can think of the uh, like the full journey. 
um, and how you're collecting all these um, coins in, in sort of like this overall trajectory. Yeah, um, you're trying to save Princess yeah, Peach. Man. Exactly, <laughs> don't lose sight of the goal. Yeah. Um, and and so it's less about um, the sheer number of points and it's like, what what does it actually tie back to? <laughs> we will include links in the show notes for our audience that are curious. Okay. Uh, our audience could also get a hold of Ryan if they'd like uh, on LinkedIn is another option. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I think I speak for everyone by saying that we're glad that you came on the show. Uh, appreciate it. Oh, Thanks, yeah. man. Thank you. For more, visit us on iTunes or our website at theaccidentalengineer.com.